Hey, welcome to episode number two of the Signal Integrity Journal Fundamentals Podcast. I'm Eric Bogatin, Signal Integrity Journal Technical Editor, and today I'm talking with Bill Hargan, the CEO of Z0. Hey, Bill, welcome. Now, I, I've known you for I, longer than I can remember. I think back in the days when we, we both had hair, uh, back when you were at Hyperlinks, uh, and I learned a lot of what I know about Hyperlinks from you back in those days. Uh, and then I know you went to uh, uh, Nanier, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of your uh, career steps along the way in uh, where you got started and, uh, and how you ended up with uh, your own company at Z0 right now? Yeah, um, I mean, it depends a little bit on how far you want to go back. I mean, when I, when I was an undergrad engineering student, I, I, I thought of this, um, I think about this, you know, every couple of weeks or so. Um, I had a CAD class in my final semester, and we had to uh, develop software to, to do some process, something useful, hopefully, that, that we chose. And um, I decided, and this was really kind of weird, to, to write a program in Fortran that would um, optimize the uh, thermal management of a nuclear power plant. <laughs> small <laughs> small dumb, project. Right, right, which was a dumb choice. And I had this when I was, so I was spending like, while doing my other classes, I was spending about 25, 30 hours a week working on this for weeks uh, in the engineering labs and adding features and, oh, what happens if this happens? Well, we need to, we need to report to the user that, you know, it overheated or something, you know, they need to, anyway, uh, choose different materials. I was doing all this kind of stuff back then. And I remember um, if I ever find this in the garage, it'll be interesting, but I remember writing in the conclusion of that project uh, conclusions, you know, you have to do a write-up for the professor. <laughs> and I said, conclusion, um, get an MBA and start my own software company. And I, I actually wrote that in the conclusions of the paper. I need to find the paper. And I eventually did that. I, right after undergrad, I, I went into an MBA program where they teach you to run a company, which is a really um, impractical thing to teach a 21 or 22 year old. Yeah, we're gonna teach you to run a company. You're gonna be running, you know, Intel or HP or something. It's, it's kind of like a dumb time of life to, to be learning that stuff. But anyway, nevertheless, I did. And, and I, I'd say I'm using it right now. Um, so, so you went from under, uh, high school undergraduate, you got an uh, engineering degree, and then mechanical you went engineering. mechanical engineering, and then you went on for an MBA. Right. You know, I don't know if you were this way when you were in school. You probably were because I think you have a PhD. But I found that I was interested in a lot of things in the MBA program. So um, as I look back on it, it's a little weird. Um, I took every class they offered in marketing. I took every class they offered in management, including operations management and uh, strategic management and all that. Some of them were core classes that you had to take. 
and I took all the finance classes that they offered. And so, you know, if you said, what was your emphasis? It was management, finance, and marketing. I, I did all of those, taught a few classes on the, uh, as a graduate assistant on the management side. So I found myself really interested in the business side of business. And, uh, you know, it, it was a little bit um, overboard, but overboard. You, could, you had that sense of wanting to start your own company and run your own company right from the beginning. Uh, right. and, and you were working on the prep for that. But after you got your MBA, what did you end up doing? Um, well, I've wanted to have my own company ever since my first company was a miniature golf course in my parents' backyard when I was about 12. <laughs> and uh, for a quarter, you could play nine holes. And <laughs> if, you, if you sunk a hole in one on the last hole, you got my dad's bridge trophy, which I had up in the window facing hole number one. And so all the kids in the neighborhood would bring their quarters and play miniature golf in my backyard. And, and I had uh, jury rigged all these little obstacles in our backyard using literally, you know, duct tape, bailing wire, aluminum foil, uh, saran wrap, just stuff we had around the house. I, you know, tires, I built a nine hole course. Anyway, uh, digression for sure. But yeah, I've, I've always had this sort of entrepreneurial wanting to have my own company. And, and, and really, um, you know, I went to work for other people right out of college. Uh, I got a job at Boeing, um, Boeing Defense and Space Group here in Seattle and learned a lot. Um, I was young enough at that time, right after school, to where I was ambitious and wanted to grow within the company faster than you could actually do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up leaving, but in, in retrospect, I look back at it and I really respect uh, Boeing as a company and a lot of the things I learned there as a, as a young engineer about you know project management and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's jump forward a little bit from uh, the previous position you had right before you started your company, Z0. So you're yeah. at, yeah, yeah I, actually, I actually want to, want to hit some of the, uh, a couple a couple more mountain peaks. Okay. Okay. Then I got a job working in fluids within the aerospace industry, um, handling the West coast for a company that did custom fluid projects for aerospace, primarily aerospace. And um, a lot of the things in fluid systems are very similar to, to what we find with um, in, in electronic systems, i.e. signal integrity. So when I went, you know, water hammer effect, you've got a pressure wave, you know, in, uh, in signal integrity, we have voltage reflections. Um, fast switching in the fluids world is a valve opening and closing yeah. real quick. Um, delta P in, in the fluids world is like impedance, right? So there's well, a voltage is the Delta P. The uh, right. Resistance right. is the resistance. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, of course. 
And, and yeah. so um, a lot of that stuff has a direct analog between the two. Yeah. And uh, I liked fluids as an undergrad, you know, class. That was one of my favorite classes, also heat transfer. But anyway, um, when I when I interviewed for the job at uh, Hyperlinks, which is as, as their director of sales and marketing, it was two founders and then me in 1995, summer of 1995, interviewing for this job, director of sales and marketing. And we're on the second floor of a building in a warehouse where uh, the, the first floor is uh, a company called Permachink. <laughs> and they made uh, resin systems for chinking log cabins. So that's wow. the first floor. <laughs> Second floor is the Hyperlinks World Headquarters. And I'm interviewing for this job, and it's kind of a rustic sort of environment. And they said, uh, signal integrity is, is like a fluid system. Do you understand the water hammer effect? And I said, <laughs> oh, I know all about that stuff. And so we just had a great uh, interview and they decided, they told me they had interviewed about 35 people, which I usually interview like three people and hire the best of three. But uh, anyway, they, they were looking for the right fit and it ended up being a great fit. Um, I didn't leave Mentor until uh, 2012 um, when, you know, after a series of acquisitions. And that, and that's where I met you while you were at Hyperlinks. Uh, you right. were selling that, and I, when I saw Hyperlinks the first time, I became enamored with it. It was so easy to use, and you could get such great uh, uh, simulation examples out of it. That it was one of the best uh, circuit simulator tools that were around, and and you showed me all the the really cool things that you could do with it. Yep. Yeah. And ease ease of use and time to results was our claim to fame back yeah. in those days. And uh, if, if somebody bought hyperlinks in the 1995 to probably mid to late 1997 timeframe, they bought it from me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just good memories, a lot of good yeah. memories. Uh, we used to warm our hands by the fax machine, you know, <laughs> hoping a purchase order would come in. That's where the purchase orders came in in the yeah. facts. So it was just good, good memories. And so, you know, just transitioning to Z zero a little bit. Um, I remember uh, writing on a whiteboard uh, back in those days, what's, what's the E sub R of, of FR4 question mark. And cause I had seen different values getting used so one guy says, well, it's 4.0. Another guy says it's 4.1. Another guy says it's 4.3. That was in a meeting. And I go, well, I'd been reading a lot of Lee Ritchie stuff in those days. And he wrote, he wrote a good bit, you know, about materials and high-speed design uh, back then. And I said, well, it's dependent upon frequency and it's dependent upon resin content and it's dependent on... Uh, what the underlying resin system is. Is it cyanate ester or is it epoxy? And so I began to become interested in materials back then rather than just, you know, the raw 
E sub R or DK that you would put into the hyperlink stackup editor. Um, later, uh, like probably 2006 timeframe, Isola approached me um, and said, hey, we'd like to work with you to get our materials into hyperlinks. And I had a guy working for me. Uh, he's still with Mentor, now Siemens. And I had assigned him to uh, work with them on that. But we never really uh, ran with it because we, we had uh, our hands full with uh, DDR support, power integrity, um, Surdy's simulation. There was just a lot going on at that time, and we didn't have time to do it. So when I left Mentor, that's what I wanted to work on was a stack up design tool. But in my initial uh, start to doing that, I needed money. I didn't, you know, I didn't have enough uh, resources to really do it full time and do it right. So that's when I met Nanya and I was building a dielectric library um, back in the, you know, 2012 timeframe and um, 2013 maybe. And um, I, I said, man, um, they're one of the leading laminate manufacturers in the world. And I think they could use some marketing help because a lot of people haven't, you know, heard of them here in the U.S. So I sent them a marketing proposal and Two years, two two months rather later, I was working for him. Worked for him for five years, and developed Z zero and the software in the background in parallel. So, what is what exactly was your vision for what you wanted um, Z zero to do? Um, I have I have always felt that. Um, you know, a simulation is only as good, a signal integrity simulation is only as good as the parameters that you feed to the simulator. Yep. And there's a lot of attention paid in the signal integrity world and in the uh, EDA CAD world to the XY direction of a PCB. And there's way less attention paid to the Z direction, the stack up. And if you're feeding, you know, if you're doing a crosstalk simulation, for example, and you, you know, in a, whatever your signal integrity simulator of choice is, and you have the wrong or inaccurate prepreg thicknesses in there, it's garbage in, garbage out. Yep. You're not simulating reality. So you could do thousands and thousands of simulations. And if they're based on a bad stack up, the Z direction, um, inaccurate stack up, some of the parameters aren't right. Um, you, you're, you're not really simulate, you know, you're not doing what the simulator's supposed to do. So, so your vision was to provide a tool that was going to establish accurate uh, dimensions and um, material properties in the Z direction uh, right. that would be input to a 2D field solver. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's, it's Z0 is a double entendre, the company name. 
Um, if you look at the logo, uh, there's actually a color version of the logo um, where I nuance this a little bit more. But the Z, Z0 obviously stands for impedance, single-ended impedance. But uh, in addition, in the, in the name, uh, Z is also the Z direction. So everything we do is in the Z direction, mm. um, including what we do with um, Z field, which is the uh, hardware partnership with uh, Don DeGroote at CCN. Uh, everything is in the Z direction, everything we do, including that product. Um, built into the name is you've got a Z and a, and a Z, zero, if you will, at the far right end, and E sub R is in the middle, and the E, and the e looks like a stack. <laughs> okay, very good. So, yeah, I see, I see where you came with a very clever company name then. So, you got the characteristic impedance information in there, you got the Z direction in the stack up, and you got the ER0 there for dielectric right. constant in there. Very it's, good. It's a name with many layers, if you will. So to speak. Yeah. So to speak. So what is the, you mentioned Z field as a hardware product. What's, um, so your company Z zero is a software tool, but you right. also have a hardware partnership or is that part of your company as well? It's, it's a partnership. So we are the, uh, the partnership with CCN is um, it's a strip line resonator system, which um, we, we are marketing to, laminate vendors first and PCB fabricators second and third would be um, OEMs who, who want to have uh, what we call, what Don and I call an apples to apples comparison between materials. And we'll, we'll uh, characterize DK and DF for any laminate sample it works just like a, uh, an ATM. You stick the sample in, you clamp it down, hook it up to your PC, um, run a simulation, pretty, pretty slick. And um, we, it's obvious why a laminate vendor would want that because they can create their DKDF libraries from it. Um, why a PCB fabricator might want something like that is basically uh, QA, inbound mm -hmm. QA, and also comparing materials. Like if materials are being marketed to you and they say, oh yeah, this is as good as Megtron 7. You can go, okay, really? I've got a sheet of Megtron 7 here. Let's test your materials side by side against it on the same bench and compare the curves. So it uses the, was that TM650, the strip line? A compression method of you build a strip line structure out of the blank laminate and then uh, measure the resonant frequencies uh, with edge right. coupling or something. Okay. Right. It's, it's the, you know, at some level, it's the same methodology used by Breskin and other strip line methods. What, what we've done, you know, there are different IPC standards that, you know, I could rattle off that it works similar to, the difference with this is the goal has always been ease of use. Um, we want it to work like an ATM. 
stick in the sample, three by three sample, clamp it down and go. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, with a lot of this stuff, um, you, uh, and, and I know you're a bit this way because you've done these different ventures with uh, uh, Bogotan Enterprises and different things that you've done. You, you have a vision of something and you think something should be done. Hey, somebody should do this. But there's a big gap between thinking something should be done and actually doing it and making it work. And there's been a no tears, but a lot of blood and sweat, uh, you know, to get from where where I was with the ideas yeah. to get to where we are now. Let's go back to your software tool. So what exactly does your tool do? Uh, on the software side, uh, we have a couple different uh, tools. I'll, I'll describe the simplest one first. Z-Solver, which is included with Z Planner. Z Planner is our stackup tool. Um, Z Solver is just a simple but elegant wrapper around the Hyperlinks 2D field solver, which I have through an OEM agreement agreement with uh, Mentor and now Siemens. Um, so we took all the things. I think all the things that field solver can do and revealed the controls or the knobs in a nice, elegant, slick GUI. I think it's the best 2D field solver solution uh, in the industry on the market. And, and I think I'm right there. I don't think it's just because, you know, I made it, therefore I like it. It's, um, I know the work that went into it. Um, getting the GUI right and making it elegant and simple and intuitive. I've, I've never had anybody look at Z solver and need help with anything. Well, you know what? That's always a great measure of the user interface. If you don't have to look up anything, you don't have to ask anybody. If you don't have to look at the user manual, if the interface is intuitive, that makes it the lowest barrier to entry and the easiest to use kind of tool out there. So I applaud you for, for implementing a really simple, easy to use user interface, because I think that's often the, the barrier for a lot of tools. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback on that. And you tell me what you think about this. Um, occasionally, people like occasionally um, ask me, and it's not people that have used the software, ask me if there's a user manual. Um, I say no, and I'll tell you why. It's philosophical. If you need a manual to run something, it means it's not intuitive. It should yeah. be obvious. You know, you'd want it to be obvious. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't, I don't get that much inbound saying, "Where's this button?" Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll get feature feature requests like, you know, it'd be nice if it did this, but I don't get how do you find it. Yep. Uh, because they can already see it. It's right there. So let's see. So you have the solver. And um, and, and if someone wants to try it out, you have like a, a free version or, or a, a trial version that's available on your website? For someone yes, to we do. Try? Okay. Yeah. If, and if somebody went to z-0.com 
um, they would see an eval version of okay. Z Solver and also Z Planner. Okay, and we'll have a link in our in the show notes for for this yeah. uh, episode. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that um, <clears throat> I've said many times uh, regarding Z Solver. It's it's easy to use and easy to buy. So we have on our website what I call Z Commerce. So if you want to, you know, if you want to buy Z Solver and be using it immediately on a credit card, we've we've tried to make it affordable. Um, it's not quite as easy as Amazon, but we've come as close as we can okay. to um, to you know, it's a it's a small footprint tool. But you can okay. either buy a standalone version or even a, some, some companies have purchased wide area network versions that can be used anywhere in the world. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the features. I haven't taken a look at it. Uh, so let's see, it calculates what single-ended and differential impedance for a variety of different um, stackups. Um, so Z-Solver um, has tabs in it for microstrip, buried microstrip, strip line. And within those tabs, you can uh, turn on trolls for those three cross-section types. So you could turn on coplanar waveguides, and then you can either check single-ended or differential, and everything okay. pretty much stays in the same place. So once you learn in the interface where something is, it doesn't move around. You go from tab to tab, they're, th they're different cross sections with slightly different parameters that you can control. Okay. But once you learn the interface, it's, you know what I mean? It's easy to learn and, and it's single-ended impedance, propagation delay. Um, we also, you know, allow you to put in dual ply prepregs if you want for any configuration. Um, we calculate, we estimate the resin DK and DF adjacent to signals. Uh, trapezoidal traces are, are included. Um, it pretty much has everything I think that people would want. You can also, one new feature in Z-Solver is um, we've had for a while the ability to, uh, for it to calculate for you the trace width and spacing um, for a cross section, like a differential cross section, and it'll if you get put in a target impedance, it'll it'll calculate trace width and spacing for you, and even graph it for you. Okay, so, so it'll synthesize based on right. a target impedance as well as analyze based on the input information. Yeah, yeah, okay. and you can you can toggle several parameters back and forth between we have a little calculator button and then if you click on it it changes to a target okay. so you can toggle things from target to calculated pretty cool so, so that's the engine that does the calculation and then the information that you need to put into that about the the layer combination and the glass yarn and the materials and all that that's also part of your tool somewhere well so z solver is is a simple cross section solver um if i don't know which which way i need to move that's cross section yeah. next to my arm there that's yeah. z solver in okay. the background behind that is z planner z planner is a stack up tool 
And meaning if you have like a 22, 36, 12 layer stack up, whatever it is, you can design it in Z planner. And we have a wizard for doing that has the field solver built in. You can include in both Z solver and Z planner, Z solver is included with Z planner, by the way, um, copper roughness, um, draw from the library, enter the frequency and um, manage multiple impedances. And so some people have uh, tools, let's say, not people. Some tools have the concept of just, you know, one impedance at a time. Um, in our case, you can work with unlimited impedance groups. So differential, if you had an 85 ohm impe in differential impedance, a 90 ohm, a 95, a 100, I've seen this in various designs where uh, they'll have multiple impedance targets uh, that they're trying to uh, achieve. On, and on one layer. Yeah, yeah, or in, on one layer and in one stack up. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and we, we manage all of that for you in a pretty elegant GUI actually. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the materials and the library of, of materials that goes into that kind of a thing. Do you track then for like, you know, on Isola or Rogers or, or Nanye, some other laminate vendor, do you have that library of here are the materials available and, and here's your selection and click and drag and build your own stack up? Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, currently 185 different laminate systems represented from almost, you know, any major company in the laminate space that's, uh, you know, has high-end materials, if you will. Um, not, you know, not some of the ancient FR4 stuff, but more like the materials uh, people that would have a signal integrity simulator would want to use. And we have 185 of those in the library. Um, probably by the time this podcast airs, we'll probably be up to maybe 195 or so. Um, uh, we add them over time. I actually do that myself uh, because, um, and then I have different people check it for me, like with the laminate vendors, um, because I wanna you know, make sure the data is right. And um, <clears throat> we characterize electrical parameters as a function of frequency, glass constructions, um, resin content, thickness. Um, we calculate pre-preg thicknesses based on percent copper values in the stack up. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of cool library functionality. I would say the best mm -hmm. library in the, in the industry. So help me understand the use case. So I can understand how if you're a fab vendor and you have an inventory of the different laminates that you can use to build up a stack up, then if you know what laminates and resin and glass that you have available to build the stack up, I can see how you can construct a stack up and do an evaluation. If you're the designer, the end user, how, how do you use your tool in conjunction with the fab vendor in order to come to agreement of, hey, here's the stack up that we want to use, here's the performance? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, um, I'd say, insightful question. Um, let me think of how I want to answer that. So we, um, we have 
done our best and, and I think done a good job of making, <clears throat> excuse me, Z Planner not be an island. So we have bi-directional interfaces to uh, hyperlinks, expedition on the mentor side, um, IPC 2581, I should say Siemens there, um, IPC 2581, which you're probably familiar with, that works with uh, ANSYS and the caden cadence flow. Um, and also, you know, there are other stack up tools that the fabricators may be using that support that format. So we do too. Uh, we support ODB++, all flavors as part of our partnership with um, Siemens. Um, I helped define the new version of ODB++ that supports a lot of uh, new features uh, that tie to stackups. And um, let's see what else. We have a number of Excel imports. But, but how, does, how does the relationship work between the, the guy that's designing the board or the stackup and the fab vendor that is going to build it? How, how, how does that communication flow? Does the, the designer that uses the stackup design tool, does he have to know what the fab vendor has in inventory? Um, that would be nice to know because otherwise you could uh, design a stackup that, you know, you could do a perfect job of designing a stackup yeah. that they, they don't have the laminates in stock. And uh, that can be a big problem. So um, in, uh, we were going to talk about the ebook a little bit. Yeah. Um, in the ebook, um, I think it's the final chapter that I titled the bottom line, chapter eight. And in the bottom line chapter, I talk about not painting yourself into a corner. Choose your laminates early. Um, right while you're doing, right after you do your schematics or while you're doing your schematics, before you've laid out the board, um, when you're doing your pre-layout signal integrity analysis, define your stack up and choose a material. And we give you the tools to do that. If you've done that, or once you've done that, you have, the op you have enough lead time with the rest of the product uh, development cycle, um, to coordinate with your fabricator to make sure that the laminates that you specify are on the shelf ready when you go to prototype. Okay, so at that so early stage. That's one approach. Yeah. That's one approach. Another approach is wait and see, uh, go through the whole, I don't like this approach, go through the whole project and then tell them what you want and see what they have available. Well, you, you know from understanding glass weave skew and uh, other issues, you can end up with having to make some compromises if you wait that long. Your choices are reduced. Your choices are reduced to what they have on the shelf if you're schedule driven. And I think, and I know it's true, it's obviously better to say, okay, um, I'm going to optimize on cost and loss early in the design process. I'm going to use this copper roughness. I'm going to use this laminate system with these properties 
at this frequency with these trace widths, these dielectric thicknesses, and these trace lengths. And if I do that, I can meet my, um, my lost targets mm-hmm. that I'm trying to achieve. You lock in a material. You can do that early. There's no reason not to. But you have so, to do that in partnership with the fab vendor that you're going to use to make yes. sure that what you choose, they have available. Or Yes. Okay. Right. Right. And, and it's, it's like planning anything, whether it's, you know, home construction or a dinner party. What are the lead times on the things that I'm trying to do here? And if you, if you don't plan it out and you just go to the store, it's whatever they have there. Those are your options. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm about moving things to the left. Uh, Some people say left shift. I don't like marketing uh, lingo like that. Um, You want to make decisions on material early in the design process. And you know, there was some stuff in my Nanya experience. Uh, it was very common for me, probably once a week, I would get an email from an OEM saying, Bill, help us. Um, <clears throat> we need these materials, this bill of materials uh, for these prototypes or, or even volume manufacture. And we need them in such and such location, you know, ASAP. And Part of me would go, why didn't you plan ahead better? Like the materials aren't there, but they're in your drawings. And now you need me to DHL the materials there. By the way, uh, unknown fact for most engineers about the laminate space, everything is done on, almost everything is done on a just-in-time system. Mm. <clears throat> they don't have, prepregs have a shelf life of six months in refrigerated humidity controlled conditions. And it lasts as long as beer does in those conditions. If you have beer in you know, perfect refrigerated conditions in brown bottles and you know, stuff like that, uh, that'll last about six months and then it gets skunky. Well, pre-preg is the same way. You remember those old Budweiser commercials about the skunky beer guy you know, coming in on a rope to give them fresh beer. Well, pre-preg is the same way. And so a, uh, a manufacturer, a fabricator, they aren't going to carry any more pre-preg than they know that they can use probably within the next three to four months. So if you say, well, I want you to use this pre-preg, they may not have it. You got to tell them in advance. Um, otherwise, they're going to be designing your stack ups with what they want you to use because it's on the shelf. And, and sort of that's the, um, what would you say? That's the battlefront that I'm on is I'm trying to get more people to be proactive in their stack up choices, more accuracy for simulation um, and more, uh, more of a smart lead time approach so sorry it means it means oems doing things that they used to delegate late in the design process Mm -hmm. taking more ownership earlier in the design process so i'm hearing kind of two important takeaways here from what you're saying one is to um be to to get the partnership of the hardware engineer 
the layout guy, the commodity manager in the company that's going to be ordering the stuff, get them connected with the fab vendor so that you can all uh, do the planning using your tool of what is going to be a viable stack up for the performance you want that is available with the, the uh, fab vendor. And you want to do that as early as possible in the design cycle. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing, you know, we, we talked about my kind of career history at the beginning. One thing that they really hammered home at Boeing was some of the, when I was like my first real, you know, engineering job was um, kind of some of the Deming principles of, um, you know, continuous quality improvement, all that stuff, which isn't stuff. It's, it's actually cool <laughs> and good. And they really emphasized um, making decisions early. And what I, what I learned to do in my Boeing days, it, it all kind of uh, comes full circle. Um, I went to a class that was uh, an elective class that I signed up for at Boeing to learn how to use the mainframe manufacturing resource planning system, the MRP system which is the system the purchasing people used. And so I learned how to find out what was available in stock and what were lead times um, for each thing. So one of the first things I did on any project I worked on was, was look at all the lead times and sort of gant things out and find out if we had any um, bottlenecks or critical path items that we needed to order early. And I don't know why everybody didn't do that because, um, you know, in my few years there, um, everything I delivered was on time because I did that. And, and I, I see that as a parallel to what we're talking about here. Um, get, get ahead of the game. There's no reason not to, if you have a tool to do it. And that's, you know, that's my religion. Those are the tools that I'm designing is for the purpose of doing what we're discussing right now. And it sounds like that, that key missing ingredient is to, in order to make the decisions early, you want to have confidence in the performance you're going to end up with. And especially when a lot of systems are up against the limits of what the materials can, can provide, having those accurate models and the accurate simulations uh, that your tool provides helps you have confidence in the accuracy of the prediction based on which materials you're going to use in your design and get that early. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and the flip side of that same coin is why would you do a bunch of simulations when you don't have all the parameters nailed down? Um, what's, you know, what are you simulating? Mm -hmm. Is it real? Um, I've, I've come into, uh, when I was working for Nanya, somebody was using our materials and they designed a bunch of stuff and they said, man, we can't, you know, we're having lead time problems. We can't get these materials. So I flew down to where they were located and met with them face-to-face, -face, signal integrity guy, the uh, supply chain guy that works with the PCB fabs. We're all sitting down together and I said, okay, show me the drawings. And they put them up there. And I'm looking at our laminate library, which I was managing at the time, what we have. And I said, that stuff on your screen doesn't exist. Mm. 
And I said, that could be one of the reasons you're not able to get it <laughs> over, you know, over in Asia where you're trying to do fabrication. And they go, what? Of course it does. And I said, where did you get this information? And they said, we got it from our fabricator. And I'm not dissing fabricators. I'm just telling you how the meeting went. Um, so I said, well, I can tell you that you can't buy that from us. Um, the material name is right. The rest of it is, you know, hmm. something different. And so the signal integrity manager, or director, CTO, whatever his title was, director of signal integrity said, we've done all of our simulations based on this. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't help with that. I can give you current issues, current information going forward. And they said, well, we've already built prototypes. I said, not with what's on your drawing, you didn't. <laughs> and he said the, the uh, prototypes were, uh, I don't know if they're working. I think they were working. And I said, well, that's good if they're working. You might want to document what they actually use because it's not on your drawing there. And um, so anyway, that's just an example. And he said, well, we can dial the, uh, you know, pre-emphasis and on-die termination if we have to, to make things work. If, if, you know, if the DF numbers are different, um, we'll, we'll just twiddle some of the bits on the drivers and receivers, but that's, or on the transceivers, that's not a really good way to do engineering, in my opinion. That's and, and a lot of systems are up against the limit. We've tweaked the equalization settings almost as much as they'll go in order to uh, get uh, acceptable performance in a lot of channels. Yeah, and it doesn't come for free either. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, we can just, uh, you know, add a little bit um, more preemphasis equalization, whatever it is. And uh, we can do that for free. Well, not really. Um, it comes at a cost. You're consuming power now. Yep. Yep. And if it's, you know, everybody cares about power and heat, uh, you're creating, you're, you're sucking one and creating the other. Yep. And before we finish today, I wanted to also talk to you about, you have a book that's coming out pretty soon uh, that uh, talks about stack up design and kind of best practices and stack up design. Uh, when, when's the book coming out? Uh, I think the launch of it is at uh, Apex IPC. Um, the uh, Siemens, um, I believe, has a booth there. They have in the past, and they're intending to have one this year. Uh, they're, they're an OEM partner of mine, by the way. I should say that. I should have said that earlier. Uh, my, so my old company and my old buddies and the extended company are now um, OEMing and selling uh, Z Planner, uh, Z Planner Enterprise specifically. I should have given them a shout out earlier, but there you go. Um, so uh, the book is they're going to be giving out giving out print copies at uh, it's in a partnership with iConnect 007, and uh, they're going to be giving out print copies at their booth at Apex IPC. Great. And what's the book called? Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Something about stack up design though. <laughs> yeah, stack up design. No, it's uh, PCB stack up design. I think it's right on the screen there. PCB stack up design and material selection. 
and uh, the subtitle is The Design Within the Design. Cool. Well, I'm going to be looking forward to uh, taking a look at that. And, and when it does come out, we'll put a little link in the show notes uh, for, for this podcast. I, I think, um, I honestly think it's a worthwhile read. You know, sometimes you, uh, you know, people write stuff and it's like, eh, that's a marketing piece. That's, that's clickbait. clickbait. That's not a value. I think that uh, an engineer or PCB designer, hardware engineer, PCB designer that reads this book would, uh, would want to keep a copy and refer to it. Um, it's not that long. It's like 1,250 words. That was the hard part. It's easy for me to write 30,000 words. It's hard to write 1,250 words. Uh, 12, you mean 12,000? 12, yeah. 12,500. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they mandated that that was the ceiling. And uh-huh. I think we came in at like 12,000, you know, 473 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we got right under the limit and, you know, I'm always having it. Well, that's, that's good content. Why are we deleting it? And they said, we, Word it, count. It has to be, yeah, yeah, it has to be a certain yeah. length. So uh, we, it's, it's, um, it's pretty meaty and, um, you know, I've been working on this stuff for, you know, good part of the last 10 years, thinking about it, working on it. And I've got the throttle, you know, all the way forward on a lot of the new stuff too. Um, we're, you know, we've been hiring additional developers and, uh, I'm working seven days a week, you know, uh, more hours than you normally would in a day job. Uh, I got a day job and I got a night job and I got a weekend <laughs> job. I have three jobs and they're all with Z zero. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to uh, put you on my list for future guests to uh, tell us some of the, the new uh, uh, content that you have in, in Z zero um, as we go down the line here. Sounds great. So, hey, thanks so much, Bill, for joining us today. This concludes our episode number two. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us and share your experiences. And to our listeners, I want you to be sure to check out the Signal Integrity Journal Fundamentals podcast and the future episodes online. And you can find us at podcast.signalintegrityjournal.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, Bill, for participating today. And that's 30 for this edition. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sarah.